Hi guys, welcome to another episode on the podcast. Got myself Brian, my co-host Squints, and our new friend Ten Skilla. We fuck, we've known each other like ten years on and off through like random car events, but never like formally met. It's been a while, man. Long yeah. time. Does that mean we're getting old? Yeah, I lost my hair. I had to get it put back on. So yeah, I'd say we're getting old. Damn. Time is a perception. It's all we have. Yeah. I've actually gotten better looking in the last couple of years. Shaved off all that weight, you know. Good for so you. I've turned back the clock, bro. Yeah, it's turned back the clock. It's doing well for you, Doctor Danny. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Helps a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? Only twenty percent though. Yeah, twenty percent. Oh, only twenty percent. Except with that, Danny. Yeah, Danny. <laughs> Where's our discount for always promoting you? Um, I guess we'll start with you know the obvious one. How was it getting into MySpace, and how'd you even lead up to getting into MySpace? Like, what was that TED life before that? Yeah, so it was kind of like. Um, you know, like a lot of people don't really understand what I've done or like how I got to where I am because they think I'm like 32, you know. You look I thought, young. I thought you were 25. <laughs> I appreciate it. There is Danny. It was all the 80% of the bill that I've had to pay the whole time, you know, the 20% discount, you know. If I had to, if I had a bigger discount, I'd probably look older. Maybe that's probably <laughs> what it was, but I don't know. But yeah, so I've been around for a long time. I'm 47 and I started my career in the mid-90s in the Silicon Valley. So I was part of the whole dot-com boom 1.0 and it was, it kind of came out as, uh, you know, we were living, I was in college and I was living in the Bay Area and all of a sudden there's all these tech companies and dot-coms booming out of, you know, we had tech companies before, but these are like these, you know, dot-coms. It was, it was like this newest, craziest thing, you know, and so I started to work, you know, in that capacity, like worked in sales and you know, and uh, and kind of grew really fast because that space was evolving quickly and I was in business development and I was running departments and stuff like that. And so at the end of the 90s, I got recruited. I was working for a company called Next Tag at the time. And it was um, it was a comparison shopping engine, kind of like Price Grabber. It was like one of the biggest ones. We sold half the company for a billion bucks um, many years ago. And then I got recruited by a company called Lower My Bills. And it's still around today. Still, I was going to say, I've seen yeah. commercials for it. So I was one of the early guys there, one of the few, first few guys there. And my job was to build a, a business similar to Lending Tree. And I did that for Next Tech. So built that business for uh, lower my bills, did pretty well. I got to like a million bucks a day in revenue. And, uh, and then we sold it to Experian within a couple of years. Oh, shit. And so that did well. And, and then at that point, I decided, you know, I, was, I was, had this like, this moment of realization it's like i've been selling and i've been selling stuff that makes no change in you know in the world you know you have those realizations like what the fuck am i doing and so i was in sales and business development selling mortgage business or leads to banks you know and it was huge business i mean like i said it was like a million bucks a day right and and i realized was that really adding any value to anyone's life and so i realized that i don't want to work in sales or business development, again, I just don't want to do it, you know. So at that point, um, I kind of quit, you know, and um, I resigned after the day after the acquisition, and uh, and basically, I took it to, to sabbatical, some time off, and then at the time we were working at Lower My Bills, we had a pretty big office in Santa Monica, so we subleased part of it out to these guys, really young, like smart guys, and we were sharing pizzas with them every day, and these guys they had a email ad network which was really kind of like us they were selling at the time it was a spam house right 
was sending emails like it's wild west there was no there's no can spam laws or anything like that it was really beautiful you know <laughs> so these guys were selling and they're creating products to send they have like huge net huge lists right and they're just blasting and the inboxing was like 100 percent. you know at the time there's no like blocking you're just in and people are just looking at emails and buying sh shit you know so these guys had a uh an ad network it was called response base and they lived in our office also. We'd share pizzas with them and stuff. And uh, I got to, you know, be close to them and become friends with them. And one of the guys' name was Tom, right? And so you kind of know where this is going. <laughs> so Tom's responsibility was basically he was responsible for building products for them to market on this ad network, you know, on these emails, right? So he's coming out with all kinds of stuff. You know, they had like skincare, they had diet products. And he's finding all of these. Yeah, he's creating them and he's sourcing them from China, like doing all this stuff, right? And then also he, um, you know, happened to be, you know, he happened to be on the dating site Match.com too at the time, you know, and Match and the dating sites were like really taboo at the time, you know. It's like you're on dating site, you're a fucking weirdo, you know. Yeah. And then we were experiencing so the first social network at the same time in parallel was a company called Friendster. I don't know if you guys remember. I do remember. Friendster. I remember the name, yeah. Yeah. So it was a guy named John Abrams. I knew him in the Bay Area. And uh, he started Friendster, and Friendster was very limiting. It really s prevented people like Tila Tequila, for example. Actually, if you remember her, she's the first. She's the first big. She's one of the first big ones. Yeah, yeah. and she couldn't have more than five hundred friends mm. on on Friendster. It was capped. Oh, they capped it. They capped it, and she just kept asking. It was like, hey, why why can't I have more friends? This is kind of you know, and they're like, no, that's it. You know, it's just ridiculous. You know, and, like you couldn't customize anything. So then we approached all these guys. We approached her, we approached them. So Tom came up with this you know, concept of MySpace and then, you know, basically launched um, MySpace. I was on from the, you know, from the early days in the beginning and jumped on and said, hey, you know, I said, yo, I can't sell. I don't want to sell, you know. Uh, I'm just like, my soul has been, you know, like yeah. extracted like an isolate of psilocybin, you know. It's like, it's gone, you know. So, I get it, yeah. And, uh, and so then we, um, you know, I said, yeah, we're just going to throw parties. So cool. So let's throw MySpace parties to launch it, you know? So anyway, so I jumped on MySpace in the beginning and then we approached all these people from different platforms like Tila Tequila and everyone else and Friendster to bring them on basically on MySpace and it worked out pretty well. And then um, the rest is history, you know, basically. Yeah. So, you know, so it went really well. We were growing really fast, faster than anything the internet's has seen. We did more traffic than Google for the first few years and then we sold it within first two years to News Corp, which was, uh, you know, kind of like a bitter. Is that how fast situation. it was? Yeah. Wow. It was really fast. Did you stay on after the sale? Yeah. So we all had, we all had to stay on until about 2008. Okay. That's when all the earnouts um, expired. And then, um, we just, at that point we sold to Rupert Murdoch, you know, News Corp. So we were promised a bunch of stuff in the beginning. You know, we, we wanted more money to be able to hire more to sustain the growth. We were growing like wildfire, you know, and, and essentially, they, they said, yeah, we're going to capitalize it. You know, we need more engineers. There's a lot of spam on MySpace. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of other stuff going on that was just, you know, becoming slow and, and, and crashing and things like that. So as soon as they acquired us, Murdoch put a hiring freeze in place, which is the fucking opposite of what we agreed to, you know. So, so basically, our, limited our resources, couldn't hire, and then it just it just went downhill from there you know 2008 when we get to leave, when we were leaving it was just we were really sad you know we we're depressed from you know we built the thing that 
something that could have been the biggest thing in the world, you know, for forever. And, uh, and it just, it was just, you cut its feet off, you know, from under it. And we were just like, dude, whoa, this is really, you know, really devastating. Um, during the process, during that whole era, there were some competitors that saw opportunity in that. So not only did we have a hiring freeze, we had to like populate it with tons of ads. So they wanted to make more revenue. Ripper Murdoch wanted to make more revenue and wanted to cut out the, you know, expenses. So he was like trying to, you know, do a classic PE move, you know, you know and say, hey, let's take this distressed asset and, and make it, you know, profitable. But it was only a year and a half old. It wasn't a distressed asset. No, it was, it was just, growing still, you know, yeah. it's on a like huge trajectory on a huge trajectory. Yeah. So couldn't capitalize it to, you know, have more resources and, and they st stuck a lot of ads in there. So people got really upset about it, you know, and then Facebook saw that opportunity and said, Hey, you know what? We don't have any ads, which is great. And then let's open up to everyone, not just college you know, people. So took that opportunity and, and basically started to grow from there. And that's kind of where that growth came from. You know, they, you know, it was, it was fortunate for them. Uh, it kind of sucked for us. 2008 was a kind of a weird year for us when we left, but we ended up, I ended up leaving with the blessing of, um, of management, which was, you know, some, some people that were still there and to, to build and solve a new problem. You know, MySpace had a problem, had 7 billion ads a day impressions and they were going under monetized. The effective CPM was a penny because they couldn't figure out how to monetize it well. Uh, the sales channels were terrible. It was all sold on a ref share, like an honor system. You know, the partners would report the revenue like a, you know, like 30 days later, and it was just like, dude, people are stealing from us. You know, it was crazy. So, I went down the path of building a technology to help MySpace monetize better. So MySpace was my first client. So the next company I started was in 2009, uh, no capital, first client MySpace, and and started doing, you know, generating really really crazy revenue within the first month, you know, and, uh, and grew that and eventually took it public. So, um, I love the customization of MySpace. It's still my favorite platform because it really name. was our space. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was the, uh, you know, the top eight and the, the, the music yeah. and like, uh, how did all that like source code and like all of these pages that come with like all the creative like uh, type of skins and things that was like, it was really next level for the time, huh? Yeah, it was kind of cool. Like, you know, a lot of people tell me, hey, you know, I learned how to code because of MySpace. And yeah. I, I met my wife on MySpace. I'm, like, I'm sorry or I'm happy for you, whatever. Either, <laughs> way, you know, either way, so yeah, there's a lot of those sites, you know, actually a lot of those sites, these, uh, these glitter page sites yeah. and all that stuff where they created, you know, code for you. Those sites actually ended up having acquisitions some of them yeah and some of them got acquired and and sold and stuff and there's some competitors you know i was on a podcast the other day and they were talking about another social network that came that kind of copied myspace at the time it was called bebo i remember, I remember bebo, bebo. Yeah. And then I remember there's high five also uh -huh. i remember high five well bebo sold for a billion dollars yeah jesus yeah it was crazy right it was it was big in asia i guess it was big there so uh, I found a lot of like, you know, uh, Wiz Khalifa is an artist that I broke from MySpace, I believe, you know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, uh, I think it was the, the realization for, for media that 
there was this outlet now that was like, I mean, for an A&R, what better place than to sit there and, and like find talent, right? Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a pretty cool space to like be creatively express yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of talent came from there. You know, we had comedy too. So a lot of comedians came out of there. Yeah. Dane Cook was discovered uh -huh. there as well. A lot of artists, a lot of musicians and, and all the music stuff kind of came from Tom being, you know, in bands his whole life. So Tom was like a musician. And so he was really, you know, he, he really loved music and that was kind of his thing, you know? And so we had a record label too. It was MySpace music. It was with, um, Interscope, you know, and that yeah, was fun. Was I remember like, that. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of like indie artists, you know, at the time, not my scene, you know, but, uh, it was fun. You know, it was a lot really very different from what we see Facebook and Instagram. As, yeah. You know, how do you feel about the arc of social since you were involved in basically the creation of the platform, you know? Yeah. So my job was market had a, you know, like I was part of the, you know, the marketing strategy, you know? And so a lot of my stuff was really offline marketing. And then later it became more online stuff of like acquiring exclusive content from artists. Hey, um, Pharrell, let's perform this entire album on the top of the arc light, you know, parking yeah. lot and shoot it and put it up on the site like two, three weeks before your album drops. So everyone can watch the, you know, and listen to it before. So that attracted a lot of exclusive content. Um, sorry, a lot of traffic uh, for that exclusive content. And I think that, you know, what we see is what we're seeing now is very different from, you know, that era. We had a lot of connection to offline before during the mm -hmm. MySpace era. We had a lot of events and a lot of stuff, you know, to like kind of tie in all the social stuff to offline. We don't really see that anymore. Everything's really just online now, you know. We're seeing mm -hmm. that, it, you know, it's kind of evolved in a different way. And we're seeing a lot of like bad habits being formed by people, you know, and a lot of crazy stuff like that. So um, a lot of change, you know, but we see where it originated from. We see some consistencies, you know like people becoming really big and famous and being discovered and stuff like that. We're seeing that, you know, on the current platforms too. You see like some change in behavior with like TikTok, you know, and the users and, and how TikTok demographics growing and changing so fast too. Now it's becoming a lot older now than it was originally. It was like really young and now it's like constantly evolving. We're seeing like, we're seeing consistency in that with brands being involved with uh, TikTok as well. Like, older brands you know brands that have demographics that are targeting older people yeah um a lot of involvement from there too but yeah myspace is uh you know i think that it's always trending a lot lately so i've been in conversation with uh the guys the that site's own. still live is it you know i don't really pay attention to it it probably is but yeah with um I the guys still up yeah so there's a company called specific media who bought myspace from from news corp yeah. And it was crazy. It was a $35 million deal. It was a long time ago. And just like a week before that deal closed, this is how retarded the whole thing was. It was so bad, right? But like a week before the thing thing closed, the routine maintenance, they, they replaced, they spent $50 million on servers. <laughs> News Corp. On a $35 million. And then a week later, it sold it for $35 million. It was ridiculous, right? It was insane. Sounds like big corp. Yeah, it sounds like some big corp stuff, right? So, yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> Don't really make no sense. Makes no sense. Yeah. So, um, yeah, anyway, so that, so that uh, basically, so that acquisition happened, and everyone's like, oh, Justin Timberlake's involved, and now that was like a $7 million endorsement deal, you know, and he was part of it for a little while. You mm -hmm. know? I remember that, that, yeah. that news, yeah. Yeah, and then that kind of, you know, he kind of, 
that, that involvement went away pretty fast. They tried to rebuild it, you know, with like a yeah. new tone and stuff, and it just didn't work. You know, it was like a weird time for it. it was, I think it was too soon. Yeah. And then so the guys that bought it, they're called Vi they're, they're called Specific Media. They're in Orange County, and then yeah, they sold their company to Time Inc. And then Time, we had we we're working on a deal with Time for a little while. You know, like hey, let's try to buy it back. You know, and what kind of deal can we get? So we're getting really close to a deal. And uh, and basically ended up in a situation where Time got acquired, right in the middle of our deal, Time got acquired by Meredith. Mm -hmm. So Meredith acquired Time, and then and then Meredith gave these guys who sold Vi um, uh, specific media to Time. He gave them an opportunity to say, hey, you guys want to buy your company back? We don't want it, you know, we don't want it on our books, you know, so do you want to buy it back? So they gave them an opportunity to buy it back. I think they bought it back for what they sold it to them for, which was like, I don't know, it was like about a hundred million or something like that, included MySpace and, and their whole business. And then, so they bought it back, you know, somehow. And then within like a year or two, they did an IPO, like a multi-billion dollar IPO in the same company. It's crazy, right? Um, so they took it public. And this is when like ad tech stocks were soaring. This is like three years ago. And uh, they took it public, and then now the company's worth, like, I don't know, the market cap's like 100 million. It was like 3 billion, it was now it's like 100 million or something something crazy. So during that era, I was like approaching them, and I know these guys for many years because they were clients of ours and we were clients of theirs. They changed the name of the company from Specific to Viant. It's like, hey, do you want, do you want to sell this asset? You know, hey, we're, the, you know we're the guys that are qualified to, you know. Take it on. Revive it, you know, and they're like, like, yeah, we get a lot of unqualified offers, you know. We're not entertaining at that market. This is not an unqualified <laughs> offer, but okay. So yeah, that's kind of, <laughs> kind of what, and uh, that's kind of where where it ended up. But yeah, we've been trying for a little while, and I think if I get a deal, then it might yeah. be interesting because we don't really want anything except for the the domain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's all we want. Exactly. Yeah, we don't um, even want you know we don't want tech or anything. Just it's interesting yeah. because it's a. Uh... I feel like in social space, MySpace was like pretty much everything. And yeah. now the the apps that we're left with are basically like fractured splinters of what MySpace was sure. technically. You know what I mean? Like there's all the Facebook aspects. Mm -hmm. There's the Twitter aspects. Sure. There's the Instagram aspects. Mm -hmm. All this was in a place that was customizable. Yeah. It was a much better platform than what we have. Yeah. What we've been left with, so to speak. I feel that way too. And I also feel that you know, like all, I feel like these guys don't get it, right? It's like clear, everyone's talking about the stuff that, that we're missing. It's like the algorithm. We don't need an algorithm and no one wants one, right? No. Like let it roll, you know? And so I, obviously- Are you of the opinion it needs to go away? It needs to go away, absolutely. And I feel like chronological is great. You know, that's just how it should be. You yeah. Know? Like I feel that, you know, people, maybe they might be using some data to recommend content, which is appropriate for our, you know, user behavior based on our browsing history and stuff like that. Okay. That's okay. But you know, from the standpoint of algorithm to maximize revenue for them, I think is, not you know, fair to them it's not user. fair to the producers of, of the content. Right. At the same time, like I want to see, I, I'm scrolling to the feed through the feed and I'm seeing stuff from like a week ago still, you know, and from somebody I probably don't even follow right. something that's exactly. recommended to me because of some other person that sure. I've, I've looked at their content previously. Yeah, so the so the algorithm sucks. I think you know, yeah. and having something that doesn't have the algorithm could win potentially. There's that, and then also stuff like, hey, people want music on their page. Yes, know? they want music on their page. 
they want top we, eight stuff. We want like adaptability. That, you know? We want right. to have like a, a space that is ours and mm -hmm. that is, you know, creatively, we could we could you know really put our content out there or, or make things that that could stay and people could go find in a place, right? Yeah, and so when we were going down this path, I like had this conversation with Tom and we were brainstorming a couple of years ago, a few years ago, and we we're like, hey, what are the things that we really need? if we were to build an Instagram killer and some of the things are like really like basic, like, Hey, from a creator standpoint, creators need more flexibility. Hey, why can't we geo target our posts? Like I want to post something that only shows up in Japan. You know, I want to post something that targets, you know, like this demographic or this age range or, you know, or this kind of thing, or like frequency, like, Hey, can we just show this post only one time in a feed to the users? Or we want to show it three times or whatever it is, you know, like we should be able to do targeting. Like basically like ad targeting, but with our posts. You Makes know, way so. more sense from a from a you know capital standpoint for, for a sure. company, yeah. Mm -hmm. And a creator standpoint. Yeah, yeah from a creator's course. perspective. Yeah, so that's kind of it's kind of where it's at, and yeah, we're we're on that same. You know, it's always trending, and Tom's trending all the time. Yeah, like on Twitter, Twitter for something. You know, it's uh -huh. crazy, and there's all these memes all the time. Like, oh, MySpace never did anything to us. You know, it's like. Oh, it's a very beloved uh, thing. I'm mm -hmm. actually sad that uh, that the next generation missed it. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Because uh, it was a cool space, bro. It really was. And it was a good time. I feel like it, people have fond memories of the era itself. Yeah. And the integration of like, it's really what brought us all online. Because before that, I mean, the internet poker boom was happening around mm -hmm. the same time as well. So you, you saw that a lot. But that was like our first like, you know, it was the first integration of like a, a social aspect where people were meeting up that didn't really, you know, people of a like thing could find a home somewhere. Sure. And it was a really cool, uh, straightforward avenue for that. That mm -hmm. doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah. I know. I mean, I think we all miss it. And, um, and I think that if, if there was another iteration of MySpace with Tom, being your first friend i think that it would have a really good oh, chance kill yeah, uh, yeah definitely i think that uh tom, you hear this <laughs> yeah no definitely i'm there where is tom these days okay let's talk about tom <laughs> <laughs> so tom and i have been like bffs for like 20 years or more you know and you know we we've you know we've been through a lot together and you know he's i talk to him almost every day still he's Kind of living in you know different parts of the country. He's in Hawaii. He's in Vegas. He's in LA. Um, we see the pictures. Yeah, yeah. The, the pictures are viral. Yeah, the photos are you know they're, they're epic, right? Yeah. And so he's kind of been in every corner of random parts of the world. He's traveled so much, and his photography was like really, really great. You know, uh -huh. arguably one of the best landscape photographers in the world. So he got bored of that. I, I bet. Yeah. So he got bored of that. So. You know, we, you know, we got together and I tasked him with a new project and that said, you know, like, hey, let's do, let's look at this. So a few years ago, maybe like seven years ago, I started going down the road of single family residential um, investments that were primarily focused on cash flow and there were short term rentals. Right. So to make it super simple, it was Air, it was not just Airbnb, but it was Airbnb. Right. Yeah. And so we took like we took like super high luxury, high end luxury homes around the price point, like four and a half, you know, three and a half to like five to $7 million homes. And, uh, and we short-term rented them, you know, we're getting like a couple thousand dollars a night rent, you know, on each one. And they were pretty booked, you know, like 95% booked generally. 
So we started scaling the portfolio and getting a bunch of that. So Tom, you know, jumped on and he got a bunch of properties too and kind of in the same place. So he's been really busy with that. He just keeps buying and buying and buying and, you know. And How is that business going today? Great question. <laughs> so yeah. Because yeah. I feel like there's so, been news that it's kind of been a downturn in, in the Airbnb, Airbnb space. Yeah. So, you know, kind of like every... So Airbnb is not the space for it, the place for it anymore. Yeah, I mean, it is um, for certain types of properties. It's a, it's still like a fifty percent revenue driver. For other properties, it's like, it's basically some some of our stuff is like ten percent of the revenue. So, you know, you to be able to scale, you got to be able to scale anything. Like I don't want to do anything. Like one of my business partners, Mike Amiri, Michael Amiri, he's like a you know big, big designer, clothing, yeah. Yeah, designer, right? We had a business together for about four years as an, as a a supplement business and you know just like his amiri stuff is like high perceived value we're doing like iphone wooden iphone boxes and frosted glass bottles for like diet products you know like yeah really over the top stuff and i sent him to guangzhou and he's just like sourcing all the stuff that mike is no joke he's he's there's no one that could touch him in perceived value he'll make i'm a fan yeah it's crazy he does, he's stuff, really right? he's really good at it yeah. yeah so like he was you know basically we had that business for for many years and um and essentially he, what was my, I lost my train of thought. Um, how is Airbnb, uh, how's that business doing now? So essentially, so we got that business, the supplement business to scale. We're doing, in the first year, like 24 million bucks and it just continued to grow and doubled wow. every year, right? It was crushing. And then uh, he got back into fashion, did a capsule collection with Maxfield and started to scale that. So during that time, we're talking about scale, scale, scale. How do we get this thing to grow? We don't want to be in a mom and pop business. We want to be in a place where we can, you know, we can grow something and systemize it. And right? sell it if you want to. Yeah, them. and systemize it, right? Which is add, you know, put software around it and make it really manageable and grow, right? So uh, so we got that business growing. And, and then Mike applied the same logic to his clothing business because he was building, he was making clothing by hand. Like these guys were, each piece was like made by hand, right? How is that scalable? It's not, it's not. right? But he figured it out and he got that business to scale and his business worth several billion several billion dollars now it's like yeah. five six years old now right he's out of control putting a store next to every saint laurent just just sitting right next to saint laurent the rodeo and like every part of the country in the world right it's crushing so he made it scalable so he figured it out, figured out how to do it so that's how, how we enter these businesses we want to be able to build scale into them so same thing with this airbnb business right so how do we how do we get to scale systemize the whole thing right basically and just add add properties or add units and and it grows the problem that we were facing with this short-term rental business was we had two main channels right it was airbnb and vrbo that was pretty much it so you were saying on the scalability of the airbnbs yeah so we had to put software around it so essentially what we had was we, we go down the rabbit hole and find all these guys and these guys are doing similar things that we are, but on a grand scale of like hundred units plus. Right. And it's like, how, how can you imagine that? Right. It's pretty insane. hundred units. That's a lot. Of Somebody has to training. manage it. It's a very, it's not even thing. that. Yeah. And, and the teams are only four people. Wow. For a hundred unit team, four people. It's crazy. Right. That's wild. Yeah. Plus obviously plus, Cleaning, cleaning staff yeah, and stuff, that, but like for, for management. But people. someone has to schedule the cleaning staff Even and the maintenance. It's all automatic. Wow. Yeah, so we, so we went down that rabbit hole, right, and under, and like figured out all the software that's out there, property management software and channel managers, right? So our biggest issue was relying on one channel, right? For example, like 
when you had a Facebook game back in the days when people were making Facebook games, which you, you're kind of like, you couldn't really sell that business because, you know, it's like you rely entirely on Facebook. You know, that thing changes or you're done pretty much overnight. A lot of these short-term rental um, hosts and, and owners have the same issue with Airbnb. You know, it's like something changed, then you're, you're wiped out, you know, basically. So we had to diversify the sales channels. So we got channel managers and we integrated 25 to 40 different channels. So we got anywhere from like booking.coms and we went down the hotel routes, like price grabber. I mean, sorry, price you have to integrate in your calendar as well. Well, it's all, it's all automated. So yeah, it's all automated, right? So all of this is managed through one platform. So we have, we've, we have a system that basically manages all communication to all the guests and everything through one place. And all the calendars are managed in, in through one place as well too. So it's all seamless, right? So now we're systemized, right? And now we can scale. So now we're in a place where it's like, yeah, we don't rely on one channel. One channel goes down, whatever. We have all the other channels and just fill it in, you know? So now it's scalable. So now it's in a, in a place where it can grow and just grow add- hundred units to a thousand units. Get to like, uh, get to a hundred. Yeah, that's the next goal to get to a hundred. So it's kind of kind of exciting. And um, and yeah, that's how it kind of built some scale around it. So experience from stuff we've done before, just like take a, take a business that doesn't seem scalable and try to really try to figure out how to add systems and and um, different strategy to make it super scalable. Sounds like no matter how far you get away from selling, that it keeps entering back into your life. See, huh? So I didn't get back to that. So, then, <laughs> so I, I stopped selling. Uh, you know, during that whole at the end of 2008, I decided it's time to sell again. You know, and so yeah. I started a new company, and uh, and that ad tech company was to help publishers monetize better. And I was selling, you know, the whole time. So business development, sales, and and then got into corporate de corporate development, which is really just raising capital and public equity and dealing with all the investors and all that stuff afterwards. And so now, yeah, now I took two companies public and I'm just, um, you know, just ready for the next one because it sucks living the public company life and, you know, just end up. There's all it. these extra rules or what's the reason? I've never experienced that. Yeah. So all the rules and, you know, if you want to be a really com like very, very like accountable person, you know, like I think that boot camp is taking company public and going through all that stuff, you know, and, and eventually you just become ultra accountable. It just your nature changes, you know, and which is really great, right? It's really good for like all businesses, all your business partners, everything moving forward after that. That's not the issue. Like SOX compliance, Sarbanes-Oxley and all that stuff is, is fine. I mean, it's just like, it's just kind of like how I live now, you know, but it's, uh, it's mostly the stuff that happens with the stock, which is vicious, you know, so you know, I drive around, you know, like whatever, you know, see, you, I met you through the car scene, yep. you know, so there's been some, you know, press about me in publications about, you know, I have like a $2 million Bugatti, whatever, right? And so I'm driving a $2 million Bugatti and then publication writes, you know, an article about that and then they start, and then, then they short you. So it's like systematic. They'll write an article, they'll pay these journalists to write an article and then the next day you get shorted, you know? And then, and so it's like, it's not fun, you know? And so you're constantly in the media and you're getting smashed down because, you know, something like that, you're overpaid. How does that so affect the, like, the mental, knowing that you've worked very hard to be in the position it's you're hard. in? It's, I mean, I've got, I got out in August, you know? And so I've been, it's been great. Meaning like life after public company is just 
refreshing. Feel relieved. Yeah. But I didn't know the rates were going to go up the same <laughs> and all this other stuff that happened. You know, like at the same time I got out, like a lot of other things happened. My dog died. Um, I had a, you know, um, home invasion, which you saw the videos, which was crazy. I, I was almost killed. And then oh my, my cat died. And then I had a relationship that ended. It was like four and a half years. So all this crazy stuff happened right after life, after public. You know, the whole thing. It's a lot of shit at once. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then, like, this year, it's just wild. The rates, you know, I'm, my mood is affected by the rates yeah. <laughs> because, you know, we're, we're constantly buying stuff and, uh, and it, real, real estate. Your whole business is upside down because of that. Huh? Cash flow is just, it's you know, different, right? it's very different. So we're looking at, you know, we're buying stuff at like three and a half, four percent, you know, interest only debt service type of loans for investment properties. Now we're, I have properties sitting eight and a half percent, you know, and, some months, you know, you're just like, and the demand is down, by the way, like that, as I was getting into it, Airbnb, that whole short term market changed yeah. quite a bit. And uh, there's a couple things that caused that one was saturation. Yeah, there's a saturation issue. And then uh, saturation is being dealt with uh, regulation. So regulation is dealing with the saturation in our area. So regulation coming into LA, which is great, because all, all of our properties in LA, uh, which really, really helped us actually reduce saturation. So we're fully compliant. Um, and then outside of that, the rates came down because, uh, we are like, you know, like the super luxury side. So people aren't paying, you know, they're not paying $2,000 anymore. You know, they're paying like 1250, you know, so the rates came down quite a bit. And then, uh, the demand came down at the same time too. Huge swings. So huge swings. So yeah, same properties were doing like 50 grand a month. Clockwork seven years. We're now doing like 25 to 30. Oh shit. Almost yeah. half. Yeah. Basically. Some of them are marginally profitable. So a different question for you. All yeah. these businesses you've built over the years, mentally, how do you go through all of that? The sales, the acquisition, having a boss, not having a boss. Like, how do you manage that? Were you able to just exit one and jump into the next? Or did you, were you forced to like just take a mental break and really find who you were again to get recentered to then continue? Yeah, so I, I feel that that's what I'm doing right now, right? So I've always had a bunch of businesses, you know, and I think that my primary business was the last company that I took public. And I don't have a primary business right now. I mean, I have another tech venture that, you know, we launched around the same time that's in stealth right now and it's growing, uh, but it's, I own the whole thing entirely. One thing that I learned though, is once you get enough experience, you know, and I think that it's really kind of exciting to do something on your own. You know, I've always had these partnerships with people and, and I always felt like I was like maybe doing a little bit more than, you know, everybody from a, else, everyone else, you know, and I think that from the equity standpoint didn't make sense. So now I'm trying to be really diplomatic here. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. But it's a, it's a space that like any of us in any walk of life and any sure. business can feel like at times mm -hmm. that one partner usually runs the show and sometimes that's what they signed on for. Mm -hmm. But as things get successful, you end up in a headspace that you're like, there's a little bit of resentment and yeah. Or maybe like, fuck, this is, uh, this is a lot. And I don't yeah. necessarily feel like I'm getting my share. So, so go ahead. I understand where you're yeah, at. Yeah. You know, I think it comes down to like the situations where, so we're paid firefighters, right? So our jobs are to fight fires. That's we're not, mean. that's exact. That's all that's we do. Like do yeah. Anyone that's successful, As a owner, yeah. any business owner that's solving any problems, yeah. we're only dealing, we're mostly dealing with fires, you know, like there's like, there's like more days of fires than days of like, you know, like that are good, you know? And I think that, and it's because of, you know, risk taking, I'm a risk taking CEO and I take a lot of risk and stuff. And so a lot of solutions for these fires, 
they always a lot of times the last venture they only came from me you know like my partners were there but you know it just ended up in you know places where i want to be in a place where hey if i'm being if i'm the only one fighting the fires and i'm the only one then yeah, i gotta call yeah. all the shots you know um and i did but in this new 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 venture that i have it's just me entirely you know it's a completely different situation because i don't even you know the pandemic kind of treated you know us a certain way as business owners we started to understand our employees a little bit better and we realized that you know i had this experience that employees they didn't want to come back in the office you know we had like 150 people in an office and all of a sudden it's like none of them want to come back because of google and sony and facebook and everyone saying that you guys can work permanently from your homes uh, they're saying you know basically hey these guys you know say that you know we don't have to come back to an office so so we ended up in a situation where we did not you know we, we couldn't we couldn't have people in an office anymore so no more office so we learned something there say hey okay go we, you know learn how to manage employees remotely which was a huge thing you know mm -hmm. like a huge shift in in culture and then and then we, re we realized quickly that hey you know what they don't need to be in la they could be anywhere and they don't need to be in california <laughs> fuck they don't need to be in the country they don't need to be in the country. I bought a company in 2018, a Ukrainian ad tech company, and it came with uh, you know a bunch of fifty, like fifty developers, right? It's a lot of developers. all in Ukraine, Ukraine, right? And it's the best thing I ever did because I learned how to work with these people, and they're so much more efficient and they're better, right? They're like so much didn't have to, They're not shopping jobs. They're not you know they they don't even have benefits. We're just paying them, you know, because. We can't really technically give them benefits over there. It just doesn't work, you know? So anyway, so we have 50 full-time developers. So the new venture is everyone is there. And by the way, these Ukrainians are incredible workers there. Yeah, they're efficient. I'm on these Zoom calls with them every morning, and there's bomb sirens going on. Wow. And they're just laughing, you know? They're just like, these people have grit, you know? And it's crazy. So... It's a different outlook on, on totally different life outlook. in general so, you know? and pride and work because I yeah. feel like that's lacking in the yeah. American marketplace now is that like I don't think that finding labor in at least California finding just in, not just finding labor you can find you can find labor and people to fill spaces finding somebody that takes pride in their position or their work is it's that's harder to do right it's hard to find somebody yeah. that takes pride in their own work, let alone somebody else's company, I feel like in America these days, it, it's a, it's a lost, it's a lost thing, you know? Oh yeah. I never wanted to be attached to anything personally that I wasn't like, didn't feel like was mine in some sense or wasn't willing to like, sure. Go above and beyond for, you know? Yeah. it's These guys probably are really happy to be in the place they're in and, and go yeah. above and beyond what you're you're probably not used to it all from from managing a lot of not people. used to that here you know yeah. so it's really refreshing have you been there yeah i spent some time there you know and uh i was going there every year for a while and it's really great and i haven't been there since the war started i was there two weeks before the war started mm -hmm. and that was like february of last year you know and i haven't been there since and it's uh you know we, t we talked to that when i go to europe i'm going to end up going there because i feel like It'd be interest, really interesting to see, and I love the culture. They have great people there, but uh, but yeah, it's we name. So I empowered my team to name the company a Ukrainian word as well, 
So awesome. it's named after an ancient Ukrainian musical instrument, like a string instrument, which is, which is, um, which is really you know great for their you know symbolic to their culture. Yeah. So it's like, hey, you know, like we have this thing. It's completely different from what I'm used to. So I'm saying, hey, let's like have like a completely different outcome. Let's do something totally different. Let's see how it goes. No partners, and my team's over there. You know, so let's completely go. Completely opposite of what it's you're already, used to. You know, it's, it's it's profitable. It's running. It's great. You know, it sounds so. like you're in a positive headspace about it. So I'm assuming this yeah. this different route is uh you're happy with it at the moment i am and i think i think it's working out really well yeah. and um you know we just got to get the scale you know which which i'm confident we will it's uh we're, we're trying to do something really exciting too we're leveraging some ai and and all the decisioning and all the logic that the technology has and makes will be done in ai so how do you gonna be really official about ai so I just gave a, <laughs> I just delivered a keynote at Hundred Million Mastermind about um, marketing AI. You were at Dan's event. Dan's event, yeah. I've been, you know, I've been a partner of that event for four years. So I've been speaking like twice, three times a year, doing keynotes there, and but they're about an hour each. It's pretty good. And so I'm really trying to be pragmatic about, you know, because the audience is full of really interesting guys. Hundred Million Mastermind is comprised of of people that have seven and eight figure businesses basically. Mm -hmm. And these guys are all, they all pay a hundred K a year each for three events for three events. So we got 10 million in tickets, 10 million in, in memberships sold every year. And, um, and these guys were trying to get to eight figures and nine figures, you know? And so a lot of them have roadblocks. First of all, they can't identify them. It's all the scalability limitations. And so we have the experience. So there's 24 of us that are coaching them. And basically, you know, we kind of take them through, you know, like understand their businesses and show them how to kind of break through and introduce them to people that have done things that they need to do. So it's really fun. But yeah, as far as AI and, and marketing, um, there's no reason for us to do continue to do certain things that we're what we're doing. Like I'll give you an example, like sales copy and, and all that stuff, like for your email drips and and your even your IVRs and all your call scripts for your call centers and your landing page um, copy and all this other stuff. There's no reason why we're writing it still or paying a copywriter to do it, you know? So, you know, we use Jarvis for that. Jar Jarvis does really great sales copy. You know, it's great for sales. I wouldn't use ChatGPT for stuff like that. There's so many other things like images and videos and stuff. You can create that right now using Dolly and, and several other, um, DeepMind, several other uh, tools. So pretty well versed in all the marketing AI tools currently. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's really enabling right now. It enables us to do a lot with less. So you can just get rid of um, overhead pretty quickly. I feel like on the new venture, you're liking the fact you can limit overhead and limit staff and all that good stuff. Yeah, it's so good. Limit fires? <laughs> well, I think, you know, yeah, limit. Yeah. A lot of fires, I mean, we have people related fires, right? Yeah. So people are, some people cause fires, you know? So that's just the nature of it, you know? And so by being over there, yeah, it's limiting some fires, you know, for sure. And I think that, you know, some fires are like, yeah, hey, our lead engineers leaving for Google or something like that, you know? And so I'm not seeing any of that stuff happen anytime soon. So things like that are good, you know, so. Let me ask you a question. Um, the one word that I hear over and over and over as we're talking throughout uh, your whole career path is scale. Yeah. Um, scale. What are some words of advice for, uh, any type of entrepreneur, business owner that's looking to scale business. Sure. I, I feel that 
you know, our time is our only real asset, right? Mm -hmm. So our time is really valuable and it's so valuable that there's nothing else that competes with it, right? So people have to crawl before they walk. We understand that, right? So you got to do, you got to be involved in certain businesses that will help you get to the next stage. You got to eat, right? You got to build some capital and then get to the next stage. But whatever that next stage is, is you got to realize that, hey, is my time, is this something that is going to make, how much, you know, how much like time freedom is this going to create? Like financial freedom creates freedom of time, right? Yeah. It's like, how much freedom is this going to create me, you know, over time? And you got to build, you got to be able to understand if a business has the potential to get to scale, right? And scale is, you know, do you want to build a company that does, you know, like a what's your ultimate goal? Is it going to do a million dollars? It's not enough money, you know, is it going to be, you know, 10 million, you know, can it get to a hundred million? Can you get to nine digits? Can you get there? You know, is this a business that can get to nine digits? For me, I don't get involved in businesses unless I, I know that I can get to a place like close to nine digits, you know, you know, and that's, and I think that that's like a, a relatively good baseline marker. How do I get it to nine digits is the next question. Can it get there? How do I get it there? Like, how can I get it there? And it's not me that's going to figure that out. It's people around me that have done things or people that are not around me right now that have done things that are kind of in that realm. Can I get to them and how can I get to them? What kind of value can I bring to them to be able to get them to show me how to do it? You know, everything I learn, I learn from someone else, you know, like I'm reading, obviously reading books and stuff, but somebody wrote those books, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I didn't read, I didn't write the books. So, you know, from that standpoint, it really is about getting access to people who have done things. And I have access to a lot of people. And the way I do that is I'm around people that are valuable to other people. And so, I'm kind of a connector just like you, you know? And so I think that to be able to, uh, to, um, attract these types of people, you really just need to be, to be valuable in a certain way. Value time. Being this successful in business, not everyone was a home run. And most people think everything you touch turns to gold. How, you know, how many deals have you failed on to get to where you're at today? Yeah. So I, I was waiting on this one and I'm glad that you, I, I was hoping you didn't forget about this question because we talked about it before, but I'm so glad that you brought it up because this is like a time right now where this is so important to understand. This era is pretty fucked up. You know, like I'm seeing so much pain that people are going through right now. Every conversation I'm having, there's these guys, like uh, there's a celebrity hairstyle guy, um, the barber, uh, this guy, Chris, he was cutting a lot of people's hair and he quit because of the stories that people were telling like every every person wouldn't stop talking about how tough the time is right now I and mean, this is how bad it is it's really bad not a lot of people are seeing it but we're seeing the impact of of it you know the deflationary um actions that you know that are happening right now all this deflationary stuff is causing a real people don't really understand what it does but raising interest rates what it does is it actually causes people to spend less money because access to capital is, is gone. People are spending less money, meaning the demand for everything is diminishing, meaning everyone has to reduce prices on everything, right? And so like everything, all the prices and everything are coming down. So deflation, access to capital, spending, all that stuff is changing. We're feeling it because we have assets that we can't move as a result of it, you know? So it's really, it's really crazy. So what, 
what this how this relates to what you asked is we're not seeing home runs right now you know we're pushing hard and we've seen some home runs before but for every home run we've had like 10 to 15 failures man it's pretty it's pretty crazy you know uh it's just a numbers game but how do you because i get asked this question a lot that's financial failure and time failure right which is it's 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 more than that. It's, a, it's your strength and character yeah. change, right? So you start really, you know, you need reinforcement. This is why I'm around guys like you guys, right? That you, I want to talk, I have these issues. I have every day, I'm, uh, I wake up in the morning and I'm like, fuck, I see these emails or I see some, I see fires and I see issues and I'm like, I'm getting kicked in the nuts every day. Like this is the era for that right now, right? And then I'm around guys like you and you guys talking, you're talking about your wins you know, you're talking about what's happening and then it, it brings life back into this, you know, like, oh yeah, I could I keep going, keep going, keep going. Or you tell me about your losses and it puts mine into perspective, right? Like, oh, you, you know, I have some friends that, you know, lost some, you know, some, some really big, some, you know, big deals and stuff happened and, you know, mine's not as big and, or, you know, that was, you know, mine is bigger than theirs, you know, like whatever it is, you know, it just kind of puts it into perspective, but yeah, you know, we have these, you know, ventures and we have these endeavors, you know, and we already know that we're not in, we're not doing these things and experiencing them for wins. We're not, we're learning, you know, this is, we don't consider these things that don't go big. We don't consider them losses. We consider them experience, right? So I learned everything, everything I've learned along the way it's just another chapter, you know, and it kind of at the end of it, there's no end of it. But today I have so much experience of things that I will never do again. Right. Yeah. It's mostly about remembering things that you don't that didn't work for you. You know, it's about that because you learn constantly about what is working. That's different, you know. And so it's just about understanding yourself a little bit better and and what kind of risks you're willing to take. Well, it's interesting how you put it as well. You don't call them failures. It's you're learning from that to get to the next. Yeah. And it might be five steps till the next win, but you learned five things along the way. I did, but there are a few things of fundamentally that I limit myself from, right? So when I'm, when I get involved in something, I, I look at the downside. So I manage downside really well. And I make a decision really fast, right? So it's always about managing downside for me. If I can get out super on, you know, like I'm not gonna drop my life savings on a project, you know, and that's just way too much risk, you know, or I'm not gonna put all my assets in one place, you know, it's too risky. So if I could, if I could afford the loss, then I'll take the risk or I'll take the risk with someone else, you know, from, from that standpoint. So some losses can be devastating, but you could manage that risk in the beginning. You could take risks, but do them smart and don't get involved um, in, in stuff that is undermining your, your foundation. So I think that's critical because the type of risks that I take are very different than the type of risks other people are taking. Other people are taking risks with their life savings and stuff yeah. like that, right? And then how do you move on from that? It's very different from you know the kind of the risks or losses I have. You know, yeah. I'm not taking those kind of risks. Did you take those risks early on? You know, I got really lucky and um, I got, I generally get involved in stuff for my experience, you know, yeah. and as 
my you know good what i could bring yeah. you know to the table and it's just because the people i've always been around have pumped me with with all this knowledge and and wisdom and i think that you people, add something more than money to more than to money and i think it's a lot more valuable than money yeah, mostly too so a lot of people yeah. approach me as a potential investor for startups and stuff like that and i tell them right off the bat say hey look i don't invest in illiquid investments okay and that's my number one rule I don't invest in illiquid stuff, right? So what does that mean to the average person? For an average person, something that I could pull out my money in the next week or so, you know, something like that. Hard so, assets. Huh? Hard assets. Hard assets or stuff that, yeah, exactly. Like hard assets, like stuff like, you know, if it's equities, it's publicly trading, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not really getting involved in private equities unless they're stuff that there's a secondary market for that I could dump them, you know, stuff like that. Um, and I look at volume when I'm buying stuff too. Um, if I could, if there's enough volume to sell it, you know that kind of thing. Like cri certain cryptocurrencies, like alter alternative currencies, and I kind of stay away from stuff like that. But if there's a lot of volume, then it's less risky, you know. Um, I, I kind of, you know, in in markets like these, there's opportunity in in stuff like like strange assets, like stuff like cars and you know things that you know people are trying to dump, you know. Like um, real estate, there's huge opportunities in real estate right now, but you have to have the appetite to like to be able to sit for a while and maybe not even cash flow them because um, just break even. Tie just up sit cash. there, break even, and then when you have the opportunity to refi, that's when you're gonna make some money. And by the way, when you have the opportunity to refi, that's a time when values are gonna go back up because rates are coming down. You know, because can't do that right now. It's gonna be a weird kind of weird place, but yeah. I just don't get involved in stuff that I can't trade, you know, out is that, pretty is that How does that go in those meetings? Because people probably come to you because of your background and they sure. expect that, wow, I have a meeting with a whale or with somebody that's knowledgeable and has the funding to help us. And mm -hmm. then you tell them that that's not your position. Yeah, so I tell them, you know, I tell them, actually I tell them right off the bat, yeah. you know, when they approach me, I tell them right away, hey, so look, I'm only investing in real estate. I'm only investing in stuff that's liquid, you know, that I can liquidate within 24 hours or whatever it is. Not anything that's like, you know, private stock and stuff like that. It's like, hey, you're just gonna sit on this forever. However, I will take your equity, but I will also take cash. So generally when these companies come to me for, you know, being having me involved in some capacity, you know, they'll, it'll be like a board, you know, appointment or it'd be an advisory role or something like that. And I prefer to be a consultant rather than any of those because board governance is never fun. You know, I don't wanna get end up being sued and the DNO policies only cover a certain amount. And then um, as a consultant, you pay me cash, but I'll bring you more value than you would get out of, you know, paying me equity, you know, or something like that. So um, pretty straightforward with them, you know, right mm -hmm. off the top, because at the end of the day, it's like, how many, how many ventures have we been a part of all of us at this table that we took equity in something that never ended up being, it never ended up being a, you, you couldn't sell the equity, you know? or just ended up dying out or something like that. You got that, you nothing know? at the end of the day. You got nothing at the end of the day. And so you contributing your time and you're associating your brand with it. Um, I think that anyone that's approaching you should feel that, you know, um, you should feel good about that, that you're willing to take cash versus equity because one, you don't want to dilute them, you know, and two, <clears throat> you value your time more than, you know, most do, so. Um being successful and like you said before with the the two million dollar cars and these things and what people the shiny objects the things that we aspire to in life um 
once you get to that place or you exit one of these companies or you get a big windfall of cash and it changes your life to where your day-to-day -day necessity for for you know livable things isn't the same how do you stay motivated to want to keep uh going forward uh well when you get to that level you get more bills <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you gotta you gotta keep coming up with some stuff no matter what how much no matter how, so it doesn't this, end no matter how much money we make we will find a way to spend it right yeah. it's just it's just how it is right and um things are expensive now it's really it's really crazy now living in california with the tax and all this other stuff it's crazy the car thing is look i wear beads right and um i'm not you know i'm not flashy and you know stuff like that uh i have cars and i'm a car guy i've been a car guy since i was 15 years old you know and so it's more of a car guy thing you know i have some stuff that's really rare and unique and it's not like you know, it's not really flashy. Some of the cars that nobody even knows what they are, you know, it's kind mm -hmm. of crazy. So, um, and there, and I've always, and the cars have always been a place for me to park money that I always do well. And I always make money on my cars always. So, you know, when times are crazy, liquidate some assets, you know, get out of them and then buy them back when they're on the floor. Mm -hmm. So it's always like kind of what I recommend people do is, you know, when, 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 assets start moving around like cars and stuff like that like when there's deals like there's deals right now yeah it's gonna get i, I hope it doesn't get crazier because i have some assets i'm trying to move but like if it does then there's gonna be opportunity to pick them up you know and i think pick this them up overage on the floor. shit's gonna go out the window the what all these cars going over it's already done yeah oh okay sorry i don't want to offend anyone but <laughs> you know i had friends that were paying a hundred thousand dollars over on a g-wagon yeah it's wild bro and i'm thinking like Whatever happened to over. yeah? Whatever happened to that's uh, done. You buy G wagons a sticker now. I mean, from <laughs> my walk of life, to pay over retail for anything was like, that was like some sucker shit, basically. You know what it I mean? It is. Yeah. And to me, it still, is. like to 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 pay over retail for a watch or double, triple what a Rolex is worth is like, I'm like, I want to pay like thirty percent under retail. Like right. this is like. Cause that's how you I should have a hookup, bro. Like I'm, sure. I'm, I'm a mover and shaker. I should sure. know a plug that can get yeah. me Gucci on the low or this for a little bit less. It's sure. become like mm -hmm. the flipped around value of like yeah. resale is like a thing. Like, like this is a, it's looked at in a different light. It used to be looked at in like, oh, you're a sucker for spending retail. But now it's like, you can't even get this item without paying over. And, and, it, and it almost has like a, they treat it differently. It's interesting yeah, to it's, turn. It's really crazy. And you know, and it just came to me. It's just like, I haven't really felt the f effects of inflation really so much, but this is classic inflation. Yeah. Right. This is who's G wagon for a hundred G's extra. I don't think a G wagon's I mean, worth what it is. I don't think it's worth what it is either. It's not my vehicle. But no, it's yeah, not. I had I five the, of them. them. Yeah. It's a good girlfriend car. You know, <laughs> that's, I what feel like, that's what it tends to end up as. That's what I look at it as. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's good. But I mean, I'm not paying 350 G's for like a girlfriend car, you know. No. <laughs> so it's your car, sure. Yeah, but I mean, it's not even that. It's just like it's it's right now. Everyone that paid, they're 100 grand upside down. Yeah, immediately. And, and I don't God. like making bad. I'm, I just yeah. it hurts me to no sure. matter how much I want something. Yeah. To, to make a bad move on it. Like, See, that's the difference. I buy I buy as an opportunity yeah. and I'm, I make money on the purchase, right? Yeah. And if you leverage that philosophy, if you're making money by buying this thing, you're making money today, Yeah. you bought it less than what it's worth. That's just a key fundamental. 
you will always win, you know? Is in, in life in general, right? Life if you have general. that mindset yeah. of like looking like for- when I buy a real estate too. Knowing value, yeah. I don't buy a finished house ever. I buy a house that, you know, that is fine the way it is. And I look at it from a different perspective when I walk through it. By the way, every time I buy a home, I walk through it once and make my decision. That's it. I don't walk through it again until I, until um, they give me the keys. Never walk through it more than once. So I make my decision in one walk and I look at it from the perspective of how it will be, not how it is right now. Cause I, I do a lot of work on these homes and they end up with like, and I end up increasing the value of like 30 to 50% just by the work I'm doing on them. You know, it's pretty crazy. So which walls I'm taking out, you know, what, what walls am I blowing out? Cause I, everything I do is kind of like, uh, like mid-century ish, like new modern, you know, like Love it. super yeah. open floor, floor plans and designs. Yeah. So I blow out all the walls and stuff. Is this, is this house super compartmentalized right now? If it is, fantastic, because yeah. it's not worth what it's selling for right now. It's worth way more than that. So I look at it from that standpoint. So I make money on the buy, and I have a team. I've been building for 14 years. We do all the work in-house. We don't sub out anything except for electrical and plumbing. We, do, we build everything. We install everything ourselves, and I make money on the purchase. There you go. So... You know, I'm not buying like houses that are finished either because even for a house you're moving into, even for a house you're moving into. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to say just to let you guys know that I think you guys should get back into the, you and Tom should, should go back into social cause there's, need, there's definitely some up. stuff missing. And, uh, you know, from talking to you, I feel like there's a, we could use you back in the game, big dog. Thanks, for, man. For, for lack of any better word than that. So I got the time you'll be. <laughs> yeah, so. um, let's go back a little bit. Give us just if there's any funny or goofy or just any memorable uh, heartfelt stories from the MySpace days, anything you'd want to share with people out there, anything that comes to mind. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've, we've done, we've had so much fun during that time. I mean, it was all like really great. You know, there's so many people like everywhere we go, it's like, I met my wife on MySpace, you know, all this stuff, you know, which is really great. And I think, uh, you know, it brings a smile. And I think over the years, we've had so much interaction with, you know, like great talent, you know, musicians and so many other people. We've been a part of like really great productions and we've done like some film stuff too and music and I don't know, It's it's been really fun. I mean, we've just had We've made a lot of difference, I think, over the years with people, you know, it's just just getting messaging out, you know, just getting a lot of information out there. And I think that we we do miss it. I mean, I think it was like it was so far the most exciting part of my life, I think, you know, and I was like around 27 around that yeah. time, you know, and it was it was so much. You were so changing the world. Yeah, it was great. A lot of, you know, a lot of travel. Yeah. You know, we're always on the road. You know, it was great. Anything you want to add to the viewers, listeners out there? Anything from could be spiritual, could be business, just yeah. something you'd like to leave them with? I think that, you know, it took me a long time to realize a lot about myself. I think I was like 40, I'm 47 now. Around that time I was like 40, 41, my life started to change a lot. And that's around the time that, you know, we're taking the company public, you know, and getting ready for it and all the audits and SOX compliance and stuff. And I was like, in a corner somewhere, my life was, I was really stressed out, you know, it was like really crazy stress. And I started tr transforming, you know, like I was really changing physically and 
and like I, my mood and I became a totally different person, you know, and a lot of people are in this, it's, we call it fight or flight, you know, a lot of people are in this kind of mo moment in their lives, either right now or they were, and they don't realize that. And it took me some time to really figure out how to get out of it. And I think that, you know, I think a big part of it was I, I didn't really have a, like a spiritual connection with myself or the world, you know? And so I really got, really introduced some change with um, TM, like, you know, trans, Transcendental Meditation really helped me really connect with myself and understand what was important. But I think the biggest change for me, like two things, like one was I really I met Danny around that time and I had a big hormonal problem. I think, you know, the stress and cortisol makes body chemistry changes in you and my oh yeah when i saw him my i think my hormone my testosterone level was at like 110 or something like that from and i was 40 years old okay really really bad you know it was supposed to be like close to a thousand right and it was it, it was really bad so i got i got you know matt my hormones got managed by a doctor which made huge huge change and then i really started focusing i was working out you know every day and then I got to like two, three times a day workouts and it was really transformed me and introduced physical duress, which really changed um, my mind on understanding that real, all this virtual stress is really just virtual stress. And when you introduce physical duress and like your body understands, your brain understands that I know this is actual stress. And when you're introducing that every day, you stay out of fight or flight. So that, that was a really big change. So hormone management, working out, meditation, really key. I became a different person. And then I, I was introduced to mushrooms like three years ago, psilocybin. And, um, and that made the most impact. Like all this stuff is great, but that really helped me really understand one thing that was missing for me. The biggest thing, which was, I did not know how to be present. Well, you were always disconnected. I was always living in the fear of the future and the regret of the past, That's you know, right. yeah. and I never understood that until psilocybin and, you know, rewiring my brain, new neural network connections and neurogenesis and neuroplasticity and just so much great stuff. Right. And while I was on, you know, while I was in his microdosing, I never could do more than a microdose because I can't handle the trips and stuff. And just, I'm really feel confined and stuff. So I couldn't do it. So always microdose. And I felt, this connection to myself and everyone that was with me and I understood how to be present. And by the way, I had the worst memory before I had the worst memory. I, I couldn't remember anything, you know, it was crazy. It was so bad. The stress kills you, right? And the stress is really just built up of two, two events. It's fear of the future and, and uh, regret of the past. That's what it is. That's all it is. It, it just basically boils down to those two things. If you're stressed out, you're afraid of tomorrow, or you're, you're, you're worried about what happened yesterday. Yeah. That's the bottom line. That's what stress is, right? So I was, not, I was not here, right? So psilocybin taught me how, permanently, taught me how to be present to, to the point where I remember every word everyone says all the time. It's wild doing that. I have the craziest memory and everyone tells me it's just scary that my memory is so crazy. I remember everything that everyone says, right? Like down to the word, it's insane. It's because I'm ultra present. And even after, you know, mushrooms, it, all of that is lasting, you know, and I am ultra present. So that being present 
while you're in present tense, some magical stuff happens, right? The magical stuff that happens is you realize what is actually important to you right now, not tomorrow or yesterday. It's right now. What's really important to you? And it's not the shit that you're stressed about. Like the stuff that you're stressed about is not, that stuff doesn't really matter in your life. It's just a part, it's your work or it's just whatever it is, it's a part of it, you know? But the stuff that really matters is right this moment. It's like animals, they live in the present tense and they're so happy, right? And so that's part of it, it's a big part of it. So I had to rewire myself and figure that out. And, and I'm like a different person completely. And some people say that, uh, my ex-girlfriend broke up with me because I wasn't so spiritual. <laughs> you know, it's weird. Now, a lot of people say I'm probably one of the most spiritual people they'll meet, you know. And by the way, everyone, Brian is half Indian. He's from India. <laughs> so um, I'm also from India and I grew up Hindu. So my parents are practicing Hindus. And so I was around Your a lot. Your culture is very spiritual. Very spiritual. I was around a lot of spiritual That's why you like chanting Bali mantras so when I was a kid. huh? That's why you like Bali so much. <laughs> so I love Bali, yeah. Yeah, going to Bali was transformative too. It was so great. But um, but yeah, I think this was like a big three years ago, big transformative event in my life, you know. And I was I never really did drugs, you know. I did had a little um, phase in MDMA in two thousand. I lived in Silicon Valley, and house music was big around that time. But other than that, nothing else. And then uh, I had a friend here. He is in tech. He sold a company to Facebook, and wildly successful had built another three four billion dollar business over the last three four years he's crushing and he tells me he's like yo every idea that i've had has come from psilocybin in the last 10 years I'm like what are you talking about you know he's like you got to start microdosing I said no i don't do drugs you know no can't do it i don't do drugs uh, no just can't you know i get anxiety you know i want to i don't want to do it i don't even smoke weed you know and he starts sending me science he knew if I read this stuff, you know, and I read it, these studies, actual, you know, double blind yeah. placebo controlled studies of like all these different situations. And I read this stuff and I'm like, dude, this is insane. Why am I not in this world? Why am I not doing this? So it changed my life, you know, it really did. And um, rewired my brain. I've never been sharper. And, you know, I think it introduced, I'm 47, but everyone around me feels that I'm you know, like 32 or something and not just the way I look, but like my energy, you know, yeah. it really changed and brought youth in me as well. Changed my mindset and philosophy so much. So that's what really spawned um, me going, kind of going down the road of, you know, trying everyone's microdosing products and, and then coming up with my own, you know, building my own. It was a passion project. So it's really fun. What's the name of your, uh, your plant medicine company? Oh, it's called Asante. Mm -hmm. So it means to your health. In French and we have a, a biodynamic supplement company and we've been doing supplements for five years and then we introduced a CBD line and then we just added uh, psilocybin to it uh, recently a couple of years ago year and a half ago so nice I'm a big fan Thanks. yeah we're we're we're, uh, we're both um, feel the same way you do pretty much you know what I mean it's yeah. definitely a game-changer life-changing and I feel like the the most readily available best medicine for any type of stress, PTSD, or, or long-term, you know, brain trauma that has life has caused for people, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I was watching a video yesterday about, um, a famous scientist who was, uh, had the stuttering problem for his whole life. And then he took a large dose, big dose of, I don't know what the big dose is, is a hero dose, maybe 10 grams or something. I don't yeah. know. But he took a big dose and, 
gone. Gone. Completely gone. Totally different person. It's crazy. Hero that dose killed is scary. That. Yeah. <laughs> it killed that old ego problem. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and now he's reborn as somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, we've helped a lot of people with addiction. Alcohol is very common. Yes. So I don't drink, not because I didn't have any addiction issues, but I just wanted to be leaner. And uh, a lot of a lot of friends of mine, you know, were drinking, and so I got them on the psilocybin, and they don't drink anymore completely, completely quit, and they're very different today, and they're so happy, and they're much more social in social environments. Yeah, you know, and actually, the alcohol causes you to be a little bit more introverted, but they feel like they're social. It's weird. It's a start. It starts in one direction, yeah. and it ends very badly. Yeah, but our brain only uh, remembers the the initial. Yeah effect right it's an interesting thing i grew mm -hmm. up around alcoholism and and people with addiction so i i see that and uh i've struggled with it myself so and we've treated uh, other types of addictions like opiates and also this other one which is really crazy because a lot of people are really interested in kratom right now yeah and so kratom a lot of people don't know this but kratom hits the opiate receptors just like opiates do it's identical it's the same so you feel the same way and there are people addicted to Kratom right now. And I had a friend of mine who was addicted to Kratom and I got him off with, uh, with psilocybin. He's completely off and he's so happy, you know, but it was a really tough one to kick too. It's yeah. crazy. I've been sober my whole life. So I've seen how alcohol affects a lot of people and all these other drugs. And for me to try psilocybin, that was a, I was on the same road as you. Mm -hmm. What the fuck is this? It was yeah. out of the ordinary. Yeah. You're, you're kind of a square in that sense. So. I'm a big square when it yeah. comes to that sense. So it Let's was, a, it was odd that you uh, went down that rabbit hole. And deep too, man. Oh, yeah. You like really delved in there, which was uh, out, out of character for you, I would think. I think I've... How deep? <laughs> My next journey, I'm out. considering ayahuasca next month. Okay. Um, I've done DMT twice. That one was a game changer. I've done, with the shaman, four grams of psilocybin. For mm. me, that was a lot. Yeah. You see some shit. I've seen, I've done two max and I was just, I didn't like, it, it was, I was a bad trip for me, you know. Since two is kind of the halfway point mm -hmm. of being way further. You got to go yeah. further. Like, yeah. I fucked around one day and took like one and a half and I was like, yeah, I bad. want this ride to stop now. When oh, you right, get yeah. to like ego death, you tend to want to be on the complete other side of it mm -hmm. because you have no recollection of, of, what happened <laughs> your your human traits you know what i mean when yeah. you're halfway in and halfway out we can dwell into a place that puts us in a very bad frame of mind because if, like you said yeah you can still worry about the future or the past yeah so you don't want to be in a space where that is <laughs> yeah if you're trying to really solve some yeah. deep issues you want to go past that to where there's nothing no but answers there's yeah. no questions right i think that's um, next on your spiritual journey I think so. I think, you know, I haven't done an actual journey with a shaman yet. So I think that I want to do that probably. You yeah. yeah. Guided yeah. is best. Yeah. Guided. I wouldn't yeah. do it without guided. Guided. Ever. Yeah. It's just, I'm just, you know, I feel like I'm this type of personality that is controlling, you know, yeah. and I need to be in control and I can't let go. And I feel that a lot of these shamans are introducing sass or something in the beginning, sassafras or something to open you up and then the dose of mushrooms so it kind of it's different eases you know? into it yeah yeah i think it opens you up first you know i've never even heard of it yeah it's a common thing yeah, relax you a little bit yeah they, they just threw me into the fire bro <laughs> <laughs> um 
anything you want to plug, share, where people can find you, um, the site. Sure, your, if you even want to be found. Your, uh, yeah, no, it's cool. Yeah, you can put my name on the screen. But yeah, my Instagram, you put that on there as well. And then um, the for the the shroom supplements, it's asante, A-U-S-A-N-T-E.com. You can send us a, an email on the site and uh, you can ask for the password for the psilocybin site. It's gated. I'll put a link down below so people sure. can grab it. Awesome. Man, I've uh, I've learned some things sitting here, and um, I'm happy to have shared this time with you and uh, and hear your journey, bro. Thank you. I appreciate Thanks you coming me. on and talking. And uh, thank you so much. I know we played telephone for a little while, so I'm glad we were able to connect yeah. and finally That's get awesome. you out here. Thanks so much. Appreciate you, sir. Appreciate your time. Um, like, comment, subscribe. Uh, you know, tell us how you feel and what you learned.